I'm at Camden BRI with Julian South, Head of Chemistry, and James Luo, Process Technologist, and we're discussing the role of processing and preservation technologies in optimising the nutritional content of products. James, the main aim of preservation is to prevent food from spoiling uh, and ensure it's microbiologically safe. So apart from the obvious approaches such as canning, pasteurising, chilling, freezing, what are the options? A range of technologies you can use, from modified atmosphere pack, vacuum pack, dry and curing, to emerging technologies such as high-pressure pasteurization, pulse light, UVC light, and chloroplasma. And Julian, processing can affect nutrients which tend to be less stable and which more so? Many food components are actually quite robust, and examples are proteins, fibres, sugars and salt. But there are nutrients which can be affected by factors such as heat, light and oxygen. And many vitamins are particularly sensitive to cooking and storage. Vitamin C is a good example, and that can be destroyed by prolonged cooking. And another one is vitamin B2, riboflavin. This can be destroyed by exposure to sunlight. For a company looking to explore different processes to assess their impact on nutritional content, how would they go about that? A lot of our member companies use our pilot plant to conduct process and product developments. They would like to try different processing technologies, different process parameters, different pack formats, or new product formulation. By using a range of facilities in our pilot plant, possible to replicate the process or vary some of the process parameters, and look at a range of attributes, whether that will be sensory quality or aspects of chemical compositions. In that way, you can look at both process validation in terms of shelf life and product safety, and also optimizations of the nutritional content or quality attributes. There are various ways of assessing whether the process delivered the micro safety, and then you can use a range of analytical techniques to assess any changes in composition. Yes, and, and these methods are changing, and they're becoming more sophisticated all the time. If you take, for example, vitamin analysis, this has moved hugely in recent years. Traditionally, this was based upon the ability of a selected microorganism to grow in the presence of a specific vitamin. So these methods were time-consuming, and they weren't particularly accurate. But now, the method of choice are those where the detection is using mass spectrometry, and we target the vitamin molecule itself rather than using a property of the vitamin. These methods are fast, and they have high specificity and accuracy. So they're ideal when you're developing new foods or new processes. So what do you need to consider when choosing a laboratory to support this type of work? Well, there are a number of things. Firstly, depending on your product type, you need a laboratory that has familiarity with that specific product and also appropriate methods for sample preparation. The method itself needs to remove interferences before analysing the vitamin levels. So we've developed a procedure using immunoaffinity columns specifically for this purpose. Where possible, you're best to use an accredited laboratory, which is why we've put in place extensive accreditation across our nutritional analysis services, including, of course, vitamins. And James, you are currently working on a new project to look at optimising processes from the viewpoint of quality. Can you tell us a bit about that? The project is to understand more about thermal depth kinetics of the quality markers or nutrients and then make use of them together with the thermal depth kinetics of the microbes to establish the thermal process. In this way, a new tie-in temperature cooking regime could deliver both the micro cues and the maximum quality and nutritional retention. From the micro safety point of view, the thermal process was established through the worst-case approach. For example, in canning, we are trying to ensure that the most heat-resistant pathogen spore has minimum chance to survive at the coldest spot in the process. However, for quality, 
we need to look at product as a whole, not just the worst case ball. Again, it's possible to use instrumental analysis to assess quality. For example, in terms of flavour, we use a GC quadrupole time-of-flight mass spectrometer. This is a highly sophisticated piece of laboratory kit which allows us to identify all flavour volatiles in a food. So this enables us to look at detail at the impact of changes in recipe or process on food flavour. And we can use this method to direct product development and we can save both time and money. So is it just food and drink we're talking about? Not necessary. Could be comparing different types of sources of ingredients, look at new formulations, look at fortification with vitamins, for example. There is increasing interest in food groups with special dietary needs, for example, baby food, botanical drinks, medical drinks, supplements, etc. By combining processing trials with analysis, you can look at optimizing the process for desired results. And as well as, of course, human food, you can apply exactly the same processes to pet food and animal feed. Exactly the same principles apply. So basically, if someone wants to look at processing technology and its impact on nutritional content of ingredients, raw materials, products, or indeed pet food or animal feed, then in essence, they can do processing trials and get the analysis done with Camden BRI. Julian South, James Earl, thank you both very much indeed.